We're going to um, jump backwards, actually, in this series. We've been in Matthew, and we've gone through about 24 chapters of Matthew. We're actually going to jump back to chapter 21 this morning, and, and the reason we're doing that is because today is Palm Sunday, and uh, we're celebrating the, the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And this was a big day. This was a, a, an important day in this story. And so we're going to move back to chapter 21 and talk about um, what, that, what happened that day and why this is so significant to our faith. Um, how many of you have been to the Delano 4th of July celebration before? All right, when I came to town here for the first time back in 2015, somebody once told me, listen, when the 4th of July comes around, you need to get out of town. All right, because it turns into a zoo around here. People come from all over the place. Delano is known as having the, um, the Minnesota's oldest and largest 4th of July celebration. And I was like, yeah, okay, uh, listen, guys, this is a town of 5,000 people. Like, I, I came from a big city. Like, I mean, how bad could it be? And then I stayed for my first Delano 4th of July celebration. And there's about 20 to 25,000 people that come to this, this little city and uh, celebrate and, and are, line our streets, you know, five, six deep sometimes uh, for our parade. And that's ultimately what was happening when Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem. They were celebrating the Passover. And at the time of Jesus' birth, there's an there's a estimate of how big Jerusalem might have been. It was probably around 30,000 people. So it would have been the largest city in that region. But, but all things considered, that's not that massive of a city, right? 20, 30, 40,000 people maybe on the high end. Well, during Passover, everyone would come to Jerusalem, and most people would have family that lived there. They'd stay with their family, or, or maybe they'd stay in an inn or something like that. And Josephus, the, the church historian, estimated that at the time of, of Jesus' life, there was between 2 and 2.5 million people in Jerusalem in that moment. Now think about that for a second, all right? That's like a massive, massive population increase in this area, in this city. And the old city of Jerusalem is not that big. In fact, from the top of the Mount of Olives where Jesus was entering the city, you could actually, you could actually see the entire city from that, from that viewpoint. It's not that big. But you cram all those people in there, and it is going to be a crowded, crowded place. And the reason they know that there were, there were roughly two to two and a half million people is that there were 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed in the temple during that time. And each lamb represented one household and it could be for up to 10 people. So we're guessing that it was somewhere around that number. Now, all four Gospels talk about this story, and since we've been going through the book of Matthew, that's the one that we're going to focus on today. But they all tell that story. They all highlight different things about it. But that doesn't happen a lot in Scripture, right? There are four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of them have different things that they emphasize. But there are certain things that are present in all four Gospels, and this is one of them. And that probably means for us as believers that, that this event is significant and important, and we should pay attention to what's going on there. 
So let's start reading in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, and we're going to read through about the first half of this chapter today. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, and untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. All right, now I want to show you what it looks like from the top of the Mount of Olives where Jesus was about to enter the city. I was there about five years ago. This is from on top of the Mount of Olives. And you can see the city wall in the background there. And you can see kind of how the, the outline of the city follows that curve around. So this is what Jesus would have been looking at. Obviously, this is a modern-day um, depiction here. We have cars driving. He wouldn't have seen that. But this would be the same view that he was looking at as he was looking over this city. And he tells this, uh, this guy to go, and, or he tells his disciples to go to this guy and take his donkey and, and the colt. This is the equivalent of like asking for someone's car keys and taking their car, right? I mean, can you imagine if, if somebody told you, hey... Go up to this guy. He's got a red Porsche. Say, Jesus needs your Porsche. Grab his car keys and drive away with it. Now, how many people would be cool with that? Uh, that's why something supernatural was happening here. This was a moment um, that Jesus had planned and that uh, he was working in, in a supernatural way. Let's keep reading in verse 4. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. Now, why a donkey, right? Why a donkey? We've been saying all along that Jesus was not the king that the Jews expected, right? He didn't measure up to what they thought that they were going to have as a king, and in fact, they wanted somebody who was going to lead them in victory over the Roman Empire because they hated the Romans. They were being oppressed by the Romans. So they wanted this king to come and lead them in victory. They wanted a military leader. They wanted a, somebody who could rally the troops. And Jesus wasn't even interested in that stuff. He wasn't interested in the military. He wasn't interested in governance. He didn't even play nice with the religious leaders. But the most curious characteristic about Jesus was probably his humility. I mean, think about this for a second. We use different titles to describe Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that paints this grand and majestic picture of who he is. And, and that's good and that's accurate, but Jesus was born in a stable with the animals. He was laid in in an animal trough. That was his first crib, right? Um, he was a fugitive and an immigrant in Egypt when he was young because Herod wanted to kill him, so he had to flee. We know that his family was poor as well. We know that because Mary and Joseph were offering doves as a sacrifice when the story of when they brought Jesus to the temple when he was a boy. They were offering doves as a sacrifice. That was not the appropriate sacrifice, but it, there was an exemption made for those who were poor. So we know that their family didn't have much money. Um, 
We also um, know that he was from Nazareth. And Nazareth was an insignificant small town in the middle of nowhere. In fact, somebody once said in Scripture, can anything good come from Nazareth? Talking about Jesus. Right? We know that he probably lost his father at a young age because Joseph is out of the picture after Jesus' childhood. We know that he lived kind of as a nomad or a homeless person during his time of ministry. Jesus said it this way. He said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We know that the people that he spent time with were mostly fishermen in the lower class or social rejects like tax collectors like Matthew and Zacchaeus. And maybe most significant, the thing that speaks to Jesus' humility the most is the fact that when they gathered for the Passover, right before he was about to go to the cross, he did something that was reserved for the position of a servant. He got down on his hands and knees, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. Everything about Jesus speaks to his character and his humility. Humility. He didn't come to be this great military leader. He didn't come to lead them in victory over the Romans. He came to serve. And he came to live his life to honor his father. I'm glad that we don't have this issue in the church today, right? That we don't have to worry about... Uh, we've, we've, we've gotten way past the point of valuing people for their wealth or their appearance, or their abilities, or anything like that. We just, we see the heart now, right? We never value things that the world values anymore. Or maybe that's something that we still need to wrestle with a little bit. Can I ask you this question this morning, and, and this, is really, this is really a heart question. What do you worship Jesus for? What do you worship him for? Do you worship him for what he can do for you? Do you worship him because, oh, my life is a little bit better when I'm following Jesus? Or because of the church, I have connections and I have friendships. And, and so Jesus brings me all this stuff. Or do you worship Jesus for who he is? Do you worship him because he is king, because he is Lord? Because of what he did on the cross? People didn't expect Jesus to be the way that he was, but... Maybe the other question we should be asking is, should they have recognized that? Should they have seen him for who he was? Because there is prophecy to speak to this. In fact, um, Matthew quoted this prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, as he humbled and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of his covenant whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So this day, this moment, as it's unfolding, had been prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Now, for context, for a little bit of understanding... Kings, after victory in battle, would often ride into a town to be celebrated, to be praised for their great victory. And the, the customary thing was that they would ride in on a white horse, right? That sounds pretty cool. And, and you think about it, 
that this is how everyone was expecting Jesus to enter, even though Scripture was clear that he would come in a humbled state, that he would ride a donkey. Now, in this moment, Jesus is demonstrating service. He's not the exalted king at this moment. You know, in addition to kings often riding in on a white horse after a victory, after a battle, they would also, in times of peace, ride in on a donkey. That was also a customary thing for kings to come in on a donkey in times of peace. And Jesus came as a servant in that moment to usher in peace. He came as, as the lamb that was to be sacrificed, as a lamb that was to be led to slaughter. He was coming in surrender to his father's will, not in battle. And Revelation 19 tells us that one day Jesus will be exalted as king, that one day Satan will be defeated for good, and that one day Jesus will get to come in on that white horse. And we will celebrate and we will rejoice, and maybe we'll call it Air Horse One. I don't know. That was a bad joke. It's all right, I stole it from somebody else. All right. <laughs> Let's keep reading in Matthew chapter 21. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, that's significant that they're calling him son of David. That is acknowledging his kingship there, right? They're saying he is from the line of David. They're acknowledging that he's the Messiah, that he's the promised one. They know that this king is supposed to come from the line of David. So there is a connection there, and they're understanding at this point who he was supposed to be. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, just picture this in your mind for a second. That small city with two to two and a half million people. Now, just, just for comparison, today... The population of Jerusalem, not just the people that live in the old city, but also all the surrounding area is still less than a million people. So cram everybody into this small section of this city. Two million people, shoulder to shoulder in this moment, shouting and singing and, and worshiping Hosanna to the son of David, crowning him as king, laying branches down on the ground so that his donkey can walk on these branches, laying their clothes on the, on the road. Now, Hosanna, the word, means save now. Uh, Jesus' disciples were probably pretty excited in this moment, and everybody's cheering and shouting. But if you look at Luke's account, Jesus is not so excited. In fact, Luke 19 Verse 41 says this, And when he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, Would that you even have known that on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
So everybody's rejoicing and celebrating, but in this moment, Jesus is weeping. He knows what's really going on. He knows what's coming. Right? He's not only looking at this moment where he's being rejoiced, where he's being celebrated as king, but he's also looking forward to the rest of the week where he knows they're going to turn on him. They're going to reject him. He's going to be crucified. And then he's looking ahead in advance, and he goes on to describe the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, which happened about 30 years after this incident. 30 years later, the Romans would come into the city of Jerusalem and, and destroy the temple and tear down the wall and burn the city. And Jesus is weeping for his city in this moment. The people are shouting, Hosanna, which we said was, save us now, right? In other words, they're saying, do it now, Jesus. Now's the time. Let's defeat the Romans right now. They wanted Jesus on their own terms. Is it any different today? Right, we want the Jesus who will bless us. We want the Jesus who will give us favor. We want the Jesus who will affect our lives in a positive way and answer our prayer requests like, like a, a hotline for help. But when it costs us something, when we have to sacrifice something, we kind of change our tone, don't we? Just like the crowd did four days later. They were shouting, crucify him, as Jesus stood trial in front of Pilate. Now, Palm Sunday was the 10th day of the month of Nisan. And the book of Exodus outlines the process for how to celebrate the Passover. And during this window of time, in this period, this was the time where each family would select a lamb that they would sacrifice for the Passover meal. And so... The 10th of, of Nisan would, would, follow in that, would fall in that window. And so here's Jesus being selected as the Passover lamb. And he was about to die on the cross at this time. Verse 12 says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Jesus did not mess around, right? He was going to take advantage of the fact that everybody was on his side in this moment, and he was going to go do something that he had already done once before. In fact, the book of John tells us that early in his ministry, he went into the temple, and he drove everybody out of there. Well, he did it again right before his crucifixion. And uh, he, he took advantage of the people that were following him and, and surrounding him. And then verse 14 says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what? these are saying. And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. You know, in this moment, as Jesus is entering the city and receiving the accolades and the adoration from everyone that's present, worshiping him, can you imagine what was going through his mind in that moment? 
thinking about what he was about to experience. I mean, if that were me, I'd be thinking, how is it possible? How is it possible that these people are going to turn on me so quickly? And he's looking at the city that he loved, the city where he spent so much time. And in that moment, knowing that its destruction was just around the corner. You know, you might be here this morning with a smile on your face, singing songs, worshiping the Lord, joining everyone around you in praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but inside you, there's something going on. There's something that's affecting your heart, something that's weighing heavy on you. Maybe it's hurt that you brought into this place. Maybe it's something that you're struggling with or wrestling with. Listen, regardless of what you walked in here today with, we know that that we have a good father who loves us, who knows exactly what's going on inside your heart, who shares your burden and stands alongside you. And you can fool everybody else in this room, but he knows exactly what's going on in your heart. I'm so grateful that our God sees beyond the surface, sees beyond the stuff that everybody else recognizes and acknowledges and knows exactly what's inside of us. And even in our sinfulness and even in our shame, he loves us and he calls us and he leads us. You know, today we celebrated with a bunch of baptisms and that's such an exciting moment and such a a celebration. When we we bring someone under the water, it's, it's a symbol of them dying to their old life and being made alive in Christ. And while our spirit is, is regenerated the moment that, that we come into faith with Christ and that he makes us a new creation and a new person, our flesh is still something that we have to deal with to the moment we die. Right? Every single day is a struggle as, as we live our lives. Every single day is a battle against the things of this world and the things that want to pull us away from God. And so we can acknowledge that we need his help or we can try to do it on our own. Can I tell you something? If you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. You're going to fall short. But if you trust in a God who loves you, who gave his life as an offering for you. There's hope. There's hope. That, that chant that they were singing, that Hosanna, it had significance, it had meaning in that moment because they recognized their need for a savior. But today, when we say Hosanna, we say it differently. It doesn't mean the same thing anymore. Because of what Christ did on the cross, the work is already finished. The battle's already won. You see, Jesus was going into battle, but it wasn't the kind of battle that they expected. He was going to defeat sin and death and hell for all eternity. 
And because of what he did on the cross, now the victory is ours. The battle is won. So Hosanna, when we say Hosanna, we're saying God has saved us. Today has a new meaning for us as believers because now we're celebrating the king who one day will return in his exalted state and establish his kingdom for all eternity. That's something to get excited about. We can rejoice in that. Can I ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes and in this moment... Maybe you came in here today with a burden that nobody else knows about. You're like Jesus walking into a place where everybody's excited and celebrating and rejoicing, but inside there's turmoil and there's pain and there's hurt. And God's speaking to you today and he wants to bring healing and he wants to bring restoration to your life. So if that's you in this moment and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, would you just acknowledge that by just... Lifting a hand this morning, I just want to pray for you today. Is there anybody that would say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we serve a God who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So we're about to ask. And so I'd like to, us to do this as a church. Can we stand together? And uh, if you didn't raise your hand, would you just pray silently with me as, as I lead us in prayer for those who are, who are struggling right now? Heavenly Father, we know that you are able to do it, God. Whatever it is, whatever situation we're dealing with, whatever we're facing, Lord, we know that you are bigger than that situation. We know that you're able to do more than we could ask or imagine. So, Lord, we ask right now that you would move in power. For each person that raised their hand, that acknowledged, I need your help this morning, Lord. Outside, I'm fine, but inside, I'm struggling. Lord, you know exactly what they're going through. You know what their hurt is. You know exactly what they're dealing with. Lord, I pray that your peace that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus right now. And Lord, that, that you would bring healing to those who need healing. Lord, that you would bring... Um, just a reminder of your love to those who are struggling with their identity right now. Lord, we pray that, that you would move in a powerful way in their heart. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that one day we will get to rejoice and celebrate you as, as the exalted king, as, as the victor over sin and hell and death for all eternity. Lord, we rejoice in that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.